You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Match either we win or we learn, and today we learn. Abdacha, Austin, shot at Isabel. It's in field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Bella. Onside, 1 0. Blue fast shot. Oh my word. It's unbelievable. He ran around a bit like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope that you enjoyed that match on Sunday where Saints beat the team at the top of the table. I hope that you enjoyed not having to pay the extra fourteen ninety five to watch it, and I hope that you enjoyed one of the most complete performances from Saints that I've seen in a very, very long time. And joining me to talk about all of that is Matt Beeling. Matt is the man behind the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Uh, you hear me say his name if it sounds familiar. Uh, I say it every week. Matt designed the logo for the show. He has been a huge part of this show that you don't know about probably. Um, he, I have bounced a lot of ideas off him for, for no reason. And there's no reason that he should have ever given me the time, uh, to, to, or his time in, in terms of giving me a response, but he did. And, um, it, it's a pleasure to talk to him. I feel bad because I haven't had him on the show in almost a hundred episodes, which if you think about it is almost two years, which makes me uh, a really bad person. So, uh, anyway, hopefully we'll have Matt on again before too long, but it's a pleasure to talk to him again this time. He's got a new podcast out. Uh, We will talk about that as well, but we're going to spend most of our time talking about Saints victory because it was that impressive and it doesn't always happen where Saints get the credit they deserve uh, for having a victory like that and it not coming from the fault of an opponent. And I think this time they deserve that and we will give it to them in just a few moments. So uh, if you want to follow Matt on Instagram, like I said, it's at WeAreSouthampton. The links are in the show notes to that and his new podcast, the 3PL podcast. Uh, but that's enough of this. Let's get to the show now. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. I'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Matt Beeling. You can find him on Instagram at We Are Southampton. Uh, he's the man who does the logo for the show. Uh, Matt, I say it, I think every time you're on, but you were, other than my wife, the first person that knew I was going to do this podcast. And, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate you you being willing to do the uh, the logo and uh, you know keep me uh, up to date on everything. Uh, ever since then, I ask you a lot of questions. I appreciate that. So uh, welcome back, and um, at least we have a a good match to talk about and, and plenty else as well. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a bit of an OG at this point. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> nice to come on after a positive result. It's you know people scheduling results in, in years past have been like, oh, I'll pick. You know, we'll go with we'll go with West Brom just in case. And then it's like, oh, well, that didn't go well. And then like, you know, and then you go, some people, sometimes people just pick City and then last year they got a win. And it's like, hey, you got to take some chances. Um, so you had Everton and and I don't know what I was expecting, but we're lights out, I think. 
this past weekend against them. Yeah, I mean, the best I can remember us playing for a long time, actually, in terms of a complete 90-minute performance. I thought every single player put in 100%, and the result was fully deserved, like really, really deserved. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with um, if people, if they, they don't know your work at We Are Southampton, um, you know, I say it every week, but, you know, match day edits, uh, you, sometimes you do some polls and, and everything else, but um, people can follow that account. Um, you are a graphic designer. It, it shows uh, in, in the work that you do compared to what, when I see yours, uh, if I'm scrolling through Instagram on my personal account and, you know, all the saint stuff kind of gets grouped together sometimes and, and it's your match day edit and then mine, it clearly looks like you know what you're doing. And then I'm working in Microsoft paint. Um, and, and so like, I, I appreciate the, the work that you do. Even, even when I think I'm good, I'm like, oh, you know, you're, you're very good. So, so people can go over there, but, um, you know, you're now also doing a podcast called the three PL podcast, uh, you and a couple of, of, of your friends. And, um, I guess where in the running order will saints victory over Everton go for you guys this week? Yeah. So unfortunately we actually go through the matches one by one as, the week that all the weather match day goes on. So we won't get to Southampton until Sunday's matches, but um, I'll make sure we spend a little bit more time <laughs> than usual on, on this match, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got you have to live it up a little bit when we do have a performance um, like we did. But for, for people that may not have heard of the show before, um, what is the 3PL podcast and, and kind of, I guess, give us a little bit of history behind it. Yeah, so essentially it's just me and two of my mates, um, both or both of them have a huge interest in football like I do and we thought why not you know rather especially now with COVID and things we're not meeting up as often why not have a chat over the internet and record it and put it out and see if people like it about the Premier League so it's very early days so it's a bit rough around the edges but we're hoping over time we'll finesse it a little bit and it will become something that people actually want to listen to. (laughs) Yeah and and did it did you guys started it as a kind of as a way to just be able to get together and talk even though you're obviously not meeting in person but just a way to keep kind of in contact given that we we can't see each other as much as we would like yeah i mean that was basically the fundamental of it um one of my friends lives on the isle of Wight, so even even at the best of times he's quite far away and then one of my other friends lives about half an hour away which is a lot closer but yeah so we figured we'd try and have a chat every week and it's working out so far but um yeah i think it's just the result of being so far away from each other not being able to meet up every week which is yeah quite frustrating really yeah everybody saints fans um, so one of them is, and the other one, unfortunately, is a West Ham fan, which is, okay. yeah, not great. Well, it could have gone worse because somebody lives on the Isle of Wight and there's only two choices. So I, <laughs> I, 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 ho- I hope he's the Southampton fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're living on, if you're living on the Isle of Wight and you're choosing to support West Ham, that's a long, that's a long, lonely road. Um, and you deserve <laughs> everything you get for that. But, uh, you know, uh, that's all right. But, um, show comes out uh, basically every week you guys run through all the matches and and is that kind of what people can expect if they if they tune in yeah so we release our podcast every friday and yeah during that podcast you'll hear reviews from all the matches the weekend before and then also like a preview for the matches upcoming the week after with some predictions so yeah a bit of everything really all in about an hour's podcast yeah yeah all right and and we'll include links uh to it in in the show notes so people can click through and and check it out if they're if they're interested. But uh, yeah, I just want to say um, good luck. Uh, and I actually I do want to ask you because you you're used to using uh, certain tools, and I assume you are uh, staying in the Adobe suite for using uh, for for editing podcasts and stuff like that. But how are you finding the uh, the workflow? Is it is it is, has it been a big adjustment for you, or you feel pretty confident with the tools given 
uh, you have some experience using uh, other Adobe tools. Yeah, I thought it would be a, a bit more streamlined than it is actually. I found that it takes me a good like four to five hours to edit down the audio. And it can be quite tenuous, especially when you're having to edit out certain bits of audio that you wouldn't necessarily think about if you were recording. And yeah, generally it's it's been an adjustment, but I think I'm starting to get on top of it now. And um, yeah, Adobe Premiere has been my lifesaver so far. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, are, there are some things we'll talk about. We've already like I've already asked you like the nerdy question. Uh, we don't need to go more, but we'll we'll talk about it after. Um, but congratulations, and and you will get it gets faster, it gets better. Um, but I'll, like I said, we'll talk about that uh, afterwards. But um, I, I guess coming into this match against Everton, and I guess we can just kind of jump into it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I felt like we, we could be okay. Like, uh, but I was operating under the assumption when I wrote the, the newsletter that James Rodriguez was going to be out. Um, we knew that Richarlison wouldn't be there. And I kind of thought, you know, like Saints are going to, the Saints are going to give it a shot. Saints are going to come out and play their game. They're not going to back down. Uh, they're not going to kind of cower to, to whatever else. And we've seen that in, in recent matches and even uh, into last year, uh, towards the end of last year, Ralph kind of, you know, just well, set, set the team up to play against people. And, and it's, it's fantastic to watch because for so long, we were so reactive to the formations of other teams and, and things like that. And it's nice to just know like, nope, we're going to, we're going to make you beat us this way. And, um, I wouldn't say I was confident, but I thought like, you know, there's a chance we could have gotten something, uh, but I didn't really foresee us completely just, I don't know, outplaying them, uh, for 90 minutes. No, I have to be honest. When I reviewed this match on my podcast, um, I went for a 2-1 Everton win. I was, I was thinking even without James Rodriguez that, and also Richarlison, I thought they'd, they'd be okay because they've started the season so well. They have that momentum. We have this reputation of not being too great at home. And I thought all these things, you know, combined into one would kind of, yeah, result in a, in a, in a poor result for us, especially how well Everton are playing at the moment. And I don't know if it's just, you know, the media bias or, or whatever it is, but even when I look at our team on paper, like you go, that's our strongest team, you know, or about what you would expect, but it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't, you don't look at it and go like, Oh man, that's really scary. Whereas sometimes I look at the people in other, in, in certain lineups and, and you look at their, look at Calvert-Lewin, you look at Rodriguez, you look at uh, Gilby Sigerson, obviously not uh, been maybe as great as he has been uh, in, in recent seasons, but I, I, I don't necessarily look at the Everton team and, and I'm scared of them, but um, I don't like, Decore based on, you know, the history we have with him. Um, but, you know, I think the Saints team is is going to start gaining respect probably from the other players within the league, probably more so than the other fans in the league, I think. Yeah, definitely. This result puts us on, on the map, I guess, in, in my opinion, because we've been one of those teams that started the Premier League really badly this season. People are kind of like, oh, they just know, you know, fall back to old friends, I guess, like we were in the middle of last season. Mm-hmm. But we've come out this year, or from September, we, yes, we lost our first two games. But since then, we've been just going forwards. And every single result, I think, has been better than the last one. We got a really good result at Chelsea last weekend. And now getting a 2-0 win against top of the league, unbeaten team, you know, it's just such positive signs for us. It feels really good to, to see the team do that. And and it, it like we said, there's no guarantee that it was going to be that way. But um, you know, in the end, I think it was, a, there was, there was only one clear winner today. And, and I'm just glad that we, I'm glad we, I'm actually really glad we kept a clean sheet, which I thought was a, a super important for us to do. Um, especially given, you know, how many goals Calvert-Lewin has been scoring, how active Rodriguez has been. Um, and it was nice just to just kind of shut them all out and, and deal with them 
um, really without that much worry, I think. Um, well, let's talk about the lineup. I mean, was there any surprise in the lineup that we, we came out with? McCarthy, uh, Walker Peters, Bednarak, Vestigard, and Bertrand across the back. Armstrong, Ward, Prowse, Romeu, and Redmond, and then Adams and Ings. I think for me, it was no real surprise and probably uh, exactly what we would have thought was going to happen. Um, but what about, did, did you expect maybe Diallo to make an appearance or, or Smallbone or anybody else like that or, or any, anything that you would uh, consider a surprise? No, I don't think so. I think it was the strongest team we could have put out on paper. Yes, we had you know some players missing like Gineppo and also you know one or two others, but we had players like coming back like Armstrong and he slotted straight in where Gineppo left off. So in terms of the 11 that we fielded, I don't think we could have fielded a stronger 11 really. No, and, and our, our bench was missing a, a couple of people. We did see a Premier League debut for Dan and, and Lindelou, um, so that that was good, I thought. And, uh, you know, some youngsters on the bench, and overall, I, like you said, I, I think it was the lineup, the best lineup we could have put out there, and, and a lineup that definitely, obviously, got the job done. Um, and then for them, I think the Iwobi was highlighted as having come in for Rich Arlison, as that was uh, a place they weren't sure if that was going to work. Um, obviously, he was hauled off at halftime. Um, didn't really do a lot. Um, I saw somebody wrote something really, really horrible. Um, let's see. I think I have it here. Uh, having a Wobi as the out ball with a first touch as ridiculous as his haircut didn't help. Uh, that's what this person wrote. And I was like, that is really harsh, but, um, it made me laugh and I don't, I don't know if I should laugh at that, but I did. So, um, any surprises for you in, in that Everton lineup or, or were you, is that, I guess, other than maybe Rodriguez, who was you know definitely not going to play, and then all of a sudden going to play, which uh, I hope uh, I hope everybody adjusted for their fantasy lineups accordingly. Yeah, I guess in the build-up, everyone was talking about James Rodriguez and how he was missing out, and how that's a huge win for Southampton. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting that they went with him. I don't think he was fully fit going into the match. Didn't really look totally on it during the ninety minutes. And then you look at other players that came into the team as well, like Sigurdsson. And also Ben Godfrey, who started at right back, uh, I thought he had a really shaky game and obviously played out of position in this one. So, yeah, I was surprised a little bit by the lineup, but not massively. I guess they had to make adjustments um, without Richarlison. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's obviously the big miss for them. And then uh, with Godfrey kind of on his own, out of position, I was really hoping Redmond was going to do some running at him. And then, uh, you know, Rodriguez, he has been so involved in a lot of their goals over this this season. Um, and a lot of like coming, tucking in a little bit inside, allowing the fullback to overlap, and then also um, being able to switch the play, kind of bringing everybody into it. And, and a lot of times he was switching over to, to Dinier on, on the opposite side and things like that. Um, and so I, there were a couple of times, I think actually, uh, we jumped to Everton's kind of real big chance, right? He comes inside, he gets the ball, he uh, spits it out wide to Gilby Sigurdsson, who cuts inside and hits the crossbar. Uh, and that was really the best chance I think Everton had all day, if I'm, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think so. And that happened so early on as well. I remember the ball coming out to him and there's a huge amount of space for Sigurdsson there. So it's a very dangerous space to leave for someone like him. So I know everybody will probably remember the goal he scored against a couple of seasons ago, where he, a very similar area, but from the other side of the pitch and just put one with an incredible amount of dip as well over Fraser Force's head. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be like staying again for peak performance, but thankfully... For McCarthy, it hit the bar, and yeah, we survived that one. Yeah, and I think right just before then, um, Bertrand had given away a foul. Uh, kind of the first 20 minutes, I wouldn't say we were totally on top, but we were definitely toe-to-toe with them. Um, and and McCarthy made that save, so that was that was no big deal. And then and then Sigerson hit the, the crossbar. And then after that, I just felt like we 
did something that I think we've been doing more of recently, but still not something I associate with the team uh, in, in terms of just keeping possession for long, long periods of time and really working the ball back to front, getting almost into the, the final third and then, and then being patient enough to go like, it's not there, pass it, pass it, pass it back, back to the goalkeeper and, and do it again uh, until they make a mistake. And I just was watching that happen. And I just went like, you know, this is, this is maybe the next level of, of ter- in terms of like ball control and, and movement um, that I, I wasn't really ready to see. I thought we were just going to press teams into oblivion and I was, I was fine with that. But um, seeing us play these kind of passing moves sometimes is also, uh, it, it's super exciting to see. Yeah, it's very unlike what we've seen before under Hasenhutl. I think we're very dependent on like counter-attacking football, playing the right balls at the right time, and catching these better teams out in terms of you know playing a high line and then catching the pressing game and pushing the mistake out of them really. And that's what happens in most of the games this season. But in this game, it was very different. I think, like you said earlier, Hasenhutl had a very astute game plan for this one, keeping the ball and working the opportunity until we we break them open, which is exactly what happened in the end. Yeah, and and I think also Rodriguez doesn't maybe offer as much going uh, defensively, and and so knowing that we could kind of probably get at them there meant that that Godfrey was going to have to do more one on one defending, and and he was out of position, or yeah, he was out of position at, at one point where we got some crosses, kind of I think one from each side, and we didn't get anything from it, but um, shortly after that we wind up uh, getting the opening goal, and um, that comes from a strike from some distance from Romeo, who hit it well, uh, forced a save from Pickford. Um, and then, and then while the, the U S broadcast was just repeatedly showing that on replay, uh, we scored and I was not happy, um, because we we kind of caught the ball going in, but didn't really see anything, um, live until they, uh, as to how the, how the, how it happened, but it comes directly from a throw in. And I think, uh, what they showed on the replay afterwards was Armstrong and Ward Prowse just kind of make this, this switch at at the throw and they just kind of switch positions in terms of, um, and what should have happened is that their the their markers should have gone and switched them kind of like almost like a basketball screen, and um, it didn't happen. And and Ward-Prowse was able to you know get it to Ings who played it back to him, and then Ward-Prowse finished uh, what I thought was very nicely. Uh, once again, maybe not something we would have expected from him to have that movement and then that finish, but um, it shows that his game is 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 continuously elevating from from where it was just a you know a short time ago. Yeah, I thought it was a really worked. Oh, goal, actually. Um, the throw-in comes in, and then you're looking at Armstrong and Ward-Prowse from the replay, and they basically switch, like you said, and um, the ball comes into Ward-Prowse, who then lays it off to Danny Ings, who does a really nice flick, and then beats the, beats the defender, and then Ward-Prowse is running into the penalty box, like, almost not one-on-one as, as such, because it was a much more difficult chance than that. And, you know, the strike across the goalkeeper was immaculate. I didn't think he could hit it any cleaner than that. Yeah. And Jordan Pickford didn't really have a chance with it, and I thought it was just a really, really like in the moment really worked goal. And it's one of those things where you just, you want to see us do that again. And, and, and I'm not sure where, you know, I understand like that's, you pass the ball and you move like that's, that's pretty basic, but the, I'm not sure those things were there before. Maybe it's Danny Ings that maybe his creativity. Um, and maybe it's, he makes those runs. He likes to make those runs. And so he just expects other people to make those runs. Maybe that's that's part of it, or maybe I'm just oversimplifying or overcomplicating. I don't know, uh, but I'm just trying to figure out where all of a sudden does this come from? How come, you know, one Romeo is absolutely leathering a ball uh, towards goal, which you know he doesn't doesn't do all that often. Um, maybe the confidence from from scoring not long ago uh, 
is there for him. And then Ward Prowse making that run. I just thought um, it's nice to see that from Saints who sometimes, you know, would have just normally thrown that ball in, given it back to the guy who threw it in and then passed it back to the keeper. And then we would just sort of, you know, recycled the ball for, you know, 95 minutes. Um, so it was nice to see us kind of attack and go for it and, and create the chance. And uh, I thought at that point, you know, maybe the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes were, were pretty even, but I think we, de- we deserve the goal at that point. And I, and I was pretty happy with, with that. Um, and then I think the next thing I have down on my notes is just, we score again, which I'm not sure. What did you make of that, of that second goal? And, and was there anything in between that you felt need needed to be um, kind of highlighted? Yeah, I don't think there was anything to note in between the two goals. I think it was just like a maybe 10 minutes between the two, but I don't think there was any action from either team in between. And then the second goal I thought was probably the, the better of the work to two goals because it started right the way back in defence. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like a case of passing out of defence, finding Danny Ings, who then ran most of the touchline down to the edge of the penalty box and put in a really, really good ball, as you expect from him. And then, yeah, who was there other than his strike partner, Jay Adams, who have such a great relationship now, which is amazing to see. Mm-hmm. You feel like just if one person's going to put the ball into the box, the other one will be there. And, you know, I thought the strike was good and yes, it took a deflection, but I think it deserved to go in just from on the move itself. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was, you know, if, if you watch how fluid the front three were, I think at one point in the game we had Armstrong and Redmond and Ings all kind of on the left-hand side. And this was Ings going down the left-hand channel and putting it across, which is not always what you want your, your center forward to do. But um, I think it's it's important just to highlight the the fact that Adams picked up what was happening and put himself in position to get on the end of the cross instead of you know going over and offering help to Ings or, or getting kind of sucked in too far to where he's out of goal scoring range. And um, I think he also had to call off Ward Prowse, who looked like he was going to take a, a stab at it as well. Yeah, it was very very similar to I guess goals that he scored for us before. And but he took the touch, and when he could have taken it a bit earlier, maybe he had good reason not to, and then. He gets a deflection off Sigurdsson and that helps the, the ball go in. But yeah, I think that that dynamism that they have now, the front two, just creates a whole new, like endless possibilities for, for us going forwards. And, and I, I think we should highlight Sigurdsson, not a defensive midfielder at all. You know, definitely like a creative attacking force. But I, I think you could put some blame on him for both goals, for not going with the runner, for not, um, especially he has the captain's armband on, which means you have a bit more responsibility. And I thought he could have done a lot more um, granted, it was two on one at the back post, but I thought he could have done a lot more to to prevent that chance from happening in the first place. Um, but once again, I am gonna I'm gonna praise the the movement of our player instead of doing what everybody else does and just uh, find reasons why the other team made a mistake that allowed us to somehow score. Because sometimes the way people talk about Southampton is that we're it's almost like we're not good and we can only do things if other people make mistakes, not if we. You know, and I think sometimes we force people to make mistakes, which I, I think is is part of, is part of the game plan. But um, that's maybe that's just me being being upset for no reason. Yeah, it's definitely happened before. Uh, forcing other teams into mistakes, and they hate it, and they 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 don't like to admit that we almost the architects of those kind of things happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, Danny Ings, obviously, two assists today. No goal, but two assists. Uh, likes to play against Everton. I wish maybe we could play against Everton a lot for for his sake. Uh, whether that's from his time at, at, at Liverpool or not, uh, I don't care. I just like the fact that he, um, see, at this point, I think it's just safe to say he likes to score against everyone. Um, but two more goal contributions for him or two more assists for him today. So uh, we'll, we'll take that. And I want to say that there are a couple of things that probably should be highlighted. I think his performance today is one of those. He's got the highest rating out of everyone on, on who scored. 
um, at an 8.5, but we'll, we'll come on to all of that later. Uh, the second half, a little bit different. Um, maybe, maybe not quite as much energy. Uh, Awobi got hauled off at halftime. And, but I, I would say that we weren't really threatened in the second half. It seemed like we controlled the game really well, which is another phase or another aspect of the game that I think has come along a little bit in recent weeks. I don't know, going into the second half, were you, I mean, obviously we were feeling confident coming at, going into halftime, but were you expecting something different from Saints in the second half? Yeah, you always worry when you go into 2-0 up at halftime if you're going to come out and play with the same intensity. And I think we did in the, in the large part. I think we changed the way we played a lot in the second half, but I think probably Ralph told the team to play slightly differently and maybe not expose yourself to conceding a goal because once you concede a goal in the 2 up, it changes you know, the game entirely. So I think it, we played a very smart way, like, yeah, very smart second half, and I thought the whole team really put in a, a proper shift to prevent Everton from carving anything open. Yeah, and, and part of me, too, is like, you know, we, we play really well one style, uh, is you keep pressing and you keep forcing that, but sometimes you, you, don't, you don't need to, and you just worry. I think my, my default uh, there is that I think back to us under previous managers where we just sat so deep and tried to soak up pressure and, and, and we saw that not work so often, but we didn't really do that. We, um, we kept control of the ball. We forced them into making mistakes again, but we didn't commit people, uh, kind of overcommit ourselves going forward, uh, so that we would have, we would have been all right. Had, you know, if we did turn the ball over, which didn't happen a lot, but, but did happen a, a few times. Um, Carlo Angelotti obviously wasn't happy with his team. He makes all three substitutions, one at halftime and two in the 58th or 59th minute. So all three substitutions used before the 60th minute, uh, which I don't think happens very often. Um, but I, I would say that Everton had a chance around 60 minutes and we, we did back off a little bit, but I, 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 I never really felt threatened from, from the Everton attack. Uh, I do re- recognize that they, they've scored a lot of goals from set pieces, but uh, we, I, th- I thought we dealt with those pretty, pretty well as well. Yeah, definitely. They, they really weren't that dangerous in the second half. And I think it says a lot about Everton when, you look at the people that they brought on for for the, the subs in the second half. I mean, they brought on Gordon, who I'm not too sure about. I don't know much about him. I know he played a bit for them last season at the end of the year. And then Fabian Delph as well. Like These aren't players who are going to cause a team who are tuning up too many troubles. So when, when I saw those players come on, I wasn't worried at any point. So yeah, I think for all of the hype that Everton have been given the first couple of weeks of the season, this kind of shows that they don't have too much strength and depth as such. Yeah, yeah. The next thing that I have written down here is that uh, into the 66th minute, Calvert-Lewin had not had a touch in our penalty area. And just kind of looking at his his stats for the day, um, I mean, we we absolutely just kept him out of the game. Uh, only two aerial duels won. Uh, he was uh, just nothing of note. Uh, I don't think he had any shots. I don't think he had you know any real chances created. I think he was basically just just marked out of the game. And to be honest, I didn't really notice us doing anything to him specifically, but I think it's because we dealt with the ball so well in other areas of the pitch. I thought that our midfield did, I thought Ward Prosser and Romeo specifically did uh, an, an outstanding job of not allowing Everton's midfield, which they were playing with a, with a midfield three. So they should have had an extra body in there from time to time to be able to, to work the ball through us. But Ward Prosser and Romeo did such a good job of, of breaking up play and, Armstrong was busy. Uh, Redmond, to an extent, was busy, although we'll come on to, to him in a little bit. Um, but, I mean, did you notice anything about how we were able to keep Calvert-Lewin, I mean, so so quiet, I guess? Because I know that 
you know, a lot of people from fantasy managers to, to, you know, just Everton fans would have been really, uh, you know, they would have liked his chances against our center backs. And, um, I would have said with Rodriguez and Wobi on either side of him, on either side of him, I thought, you know, he definitely would have been more involved in, in, in the match. Yeah. I'm, I'm very surprised at how quiet we kept him actually, because look at the caliber of team that Everton have played already this season with Everton. And he, he still had a massive impact for them in that game. But I think what we did great in this game was, was nullify the, the wing attacks that Everton tried to, tried to use to exploit us. But they just basically, I guess, because we had Carl Walker-Peters and Ryan Bertrand almost man-marking their wingers, it kind of made it impossible for Everton to get the ball into the box. And then if Calvert-Lewin doesn't have anything to work off in the air, I think he's a lot less effective than when the ball's at his feet. So, yeah, I think it was just a game plan really well executed from, from Hasenhusen, really. Yeah, I mean, and by the end of the match, only two touches in the in in our penalty area uh, for the entire match for Calvert Lewin, which obviously for your your talismanic goal scorer is not kind of what you want. But like you said, the denial of of those balls out wide, whether it was stopping the ball from even either even getting to them or or just putting pressure on them and forcing either bad crosses or McCarthy coming for them, uh, which he did a couple of times, I, I thought it was really good. And you know, it, it's just it's so good to see kind of all of that stuff kind of come together because it doesn't always happen and a lot of times there's at least one big kind of glaring error or one big glaring area where we could have really improved and it's tough to like look around the team this this week and and say you know oh that was the mistake or that's where you need to improve or or anything else and um i don't know just i'm super super impressed um with 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 the entire team and, and let alone uh obviously with the result but really with the the performance overall um i think there was a moment from Redmond where he kind of like got himself out of trouble, got by three players, ran by them, which I thought was really good. Um, but I, I guess this is a decent time to talk about it. I, I'll be honest, I, watching the game, I, I thought that of the attacking players for us, Redmond was the worst. Um, and that was, just, that was just watching the game. It's not looking at statistics or anything else. It was just kind of what I saw. Um, I saw Armstrong kind of more involved. I saw obviously Adams with a goal and Ings with two assists. So that probably maybe excuse my, my opinion a little bit. Um, but I think Sky gave him, gave Redmond man of the match for them. Uh, but what was your kind of assessment of his play today? Or, or do you, do you, I guess, how wrong am I? Or, or did, do you agree? No, unfortunately, I, I agree with you. I didn't see much throughout the match from, from Redmond. And it's kind of been... The story of the season. I know he's been out injured for a couple of games, but even in the first couple of games of the season against Palace, um, you know, he, he didn't look dangerous. And we came to expect, like, the end of last season, that he was going to be, you know, the one creating our chances, carving teams open. But, um, yeah, he's, he didn't show that. And especially in this game, I thought he was, he was pretty, um, you know, null and void. I don't think, I don't think he really showed anything that, warranted a man of the match award. I thought Danny Ings with two assists probably was the main candidate for that. And then, yeah, I struggled to pick out any stats from him today that, that justified giving him man of the match. Yeah, which is, is super weird given that, you know, I'm generally a Redmond defendant. You know, I've, I, I, there are people who attack him online for reasons other than his play, which I, I don't like. But I, I, was, I would normally come to his defense and say, he, you know, he deserved it. But I didn't really see him do anything today, but um, you know, looking at some of the other things, he did wind up with with a couple of dribbles, uh, a, a couple of other things that that would have made him. I think he, he dribbled six six players. I think he had three tackles. Um, he 
he did some other things. He had three shots as well. No, none of them uh, were goals, uh, unfortunately. But uh, he he was involved, I guess, more than I gave him credit for, or at least that I noticed. And maybe it's because one of his shots, he kind of cut inside, and it it was it was not close. Um, is the I think the the safest way to say it. <laughs> um, and so maybe maybe that was was a little bit. But I think uh, another thing that would have stopped the supply from the fullbacks for Everton would have been that for you know the last twenty minutes. Uh, plus stoppage time, they had to play with only one of them because Dini was sent off. And I have curse word, curse word, you, Dini, uh, get off the, the pitch because I saw when I saw that tackle in real time, I thought there was no chance that it wasn't a red. And I think there was an instance slightly before where I think Bernard maybe had been booked uh, shortly after coming on. And the, I guess the, the, the commentator for here um his name's jim jim proudfoot i think was was the guy calling the game um and he was just defending everton like over and over and over and wouldn't give us any credit and it was it was frustrating to me and then when that when that challenge happened he had had a swipe at kyle walker peters already earlier in the move uh and then just i mean the the, the challenge is high it's nasty. It's it's dangerous, and it doesn't matter if he meant it or not. If he was, it doesn't matter if he wasn't trying to hurt him. It's a dangerous tackle, and and I, I don't know. I'm fully behind the red card. I don't think there was any, I don't think there was any controversy in it whatsoever. But um, I, I think even uh, on the UK broadcast, uh, I think it was Harry Redknapp who was who was also you know criticizing the red card there. And I don't know what we obviously we're Saints fans, so we were trying to protect our player a little bit. But what was your what was your take on on that whole situation? Yeah, I don't think we're biased in saying that it was a straight red, to be honest. I mean, the, the intent maybe wasn't there from Digne. Maybe he was just trying to stop Carl Walker-Peters by any means necessary. But the way he went about it by just, you know, that's almost stamping on the back of Carl Walker-Peters' Achilles for a prolonged period. He didn't pull out of the tackle at any point. I think just just says everything about it. I think if you were going to make that tackle, you could have done it in a in a much less aggressive way and in the end I think that's the reason that it was a red because you tackle anyone anywhere across the pitch and that's a red card because of your studs up at the back of someone's leg you know that could be a very serious injury yeah yeah that could easily be the end of, of a career you know and uh, maybe maybe that's that's being slightly too dramatic but it's definitely not something you want to see and it's not something that you you don't want to you can't let those things go I don't think without without asking for for trouble um going forward and you know I, I think at that point Everton were frustrated I think James Rodriguez had already um you know gotten into something with I think Bertrand was trying to get somebody booked and, and Rodriguez wasn't having it but there were there was already kind of uh, a couple of, of instances where things were were I guess starting to bubble over and Everton were obviously getting frustrated um and you understand that but you can't go around you know potentially hurting players for um you know, for significant periods of time by, by doing that. And I am worried, uh, given the fact that I think Valerie was watching the game at home, um, because he, he, he posted on his Instagram story when, and Linda Lou came on, um, you know, and so if that's the guy that's next in line to play right back, if, if Kyle Walker Peters is hurt, um, that's not a great sign. If he's just hanging out at home, uh, watching the match. And I don't know, I, I don't have any complaints about, about the red card. I think it's absolutely the right decision. Um, I want to say what the, the commentator said is anybody who kind of really understands the game had a bit more, I think he said it had a bit more understanding of the game rather than just a direct interpretation of the rules. 
uh, would have known that that's just, that's an accident. It's not a red card. And I was just like, I can't believe what you're saying. And I, I went to the point where I actually looked him up on Twitter and was ready just to like follow him and then like do the thing that I hate when people do, which is shout a bunch of abuse at him, ask him what he's really doing. And then, and then like unfollow him or whatever. But I just chose, I chose not to. Um, and I'm, I'm still kicking myself. I feel like I made the wrong decision in this case. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know how you can argue with it. I think even Dunye was, was angry about being sent off. But you look at the challenge from Pickford on Van Dyke last week, and that, that's going to be Van Dyke out for eight, nine months. And even as a Southampton fan, you don't like to see that. So imagine that had happened to Carl Walker Peters today. You know, and, you know, it's just, you can't justify it in any kind of way. So, yeah, in my eyes, straight red and right decision. I think, I mean, this is not my picture that I have up on my screen, but it's Dinier clearly stomping the back of Kyle Walker Peter's foot, which will probably be the episode artwork for this one, just just because. Um, although I shouldn't do that because, you know, we deserve better than that because maybe I'm just doing what everybody else does, which is not giving us enough credit for winning the game before that because it already was 2 nothing. Everton didn't really have uh, any chances, um, you know, going forward from that. So I think we were we were still uh, kind of doing just fine. Um, but what I, I, I do want to point out is after the, that decision, which like you said, we both kind of agree with it. Um, Saints had something like 74% possession. Um, and at that point, you're up to nothing. You're up, uh, you're up an extra man. And, and I think Ralph said, you know, the, the point wasn't to go and create a bunch of chances or take risks. It was to control the game. And that didn't mean sit deep and let them have the ball and try to break us down. It meant we keep the ball, we force them to run, and we just pass it around. And we, once again, did that to a, to a level that I haven't seen us do for uh, you know quite I, I can't really remember when honestly because I think even under Kuman we were fairly direct I don't remember us just kind of just playing just, just having the ball and doing all of that and and it was just uh, I don't know super happy with with how the game worked out and very impressed that we were able to keep seventy four percent possession away from Everton who needed the points and obviously it, being the league leaders coming into today we're not going to want to get beat. Um, and to use Frank Lampard's words, like a, a team like Southampton. Um, and so uh, overall, I thought it just a, a truly professional performance from, from the goals to the way we conducted ourselves. I think only, uh, I think only Walker Peters was booked today. Um, and I think it was early and, you know, just the professional nature that we kind of went about uh, each, each time the game required something different of the team, Ralph and the team rose to that challenge and met it the appropriate way. And I think that's really the sign that the team is maybe, maturing under under ralph which is something that i wasn't quite sure like i said earlier that i i wasn't quite sure that was actually going to happen or we were actually going to see that yeah it was a complete performance like start to finish i don't really remember too many performances like it we, we've stopped every attacking avenue that they had and like you said the last 15 20 minutes usually you say like the team that are losing at that point they're going to have one big chance to get themselves back in the game but that didn't even happen for everything and yeah, credit to the whole team, credit to Ralph, credit to the whole club for bouncing back after, you know, that result that everyone won't stop mentioning from last season. Oh, you and mean that, the one you know, where we lost nine nothing and they mentioned it seven minutes before <laughs> before kickoff on our feed and then again at halftime and then again, I think in the second half. <laughs> that one? Because <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah, forgot that's, that's sometimes. I forget. <laughs> that's the one, yeah. Um yeah, thank God that's now in the rear view mirror and we can you can start being happy about being fifth in the league, you know. It's yeah, it's a much better place to be than where we were last year. And now I wonder, will VVV Venlo get get reminded of it as much as we did? 
Or is it because oh. they're not in the Premier League that it won't be? That'll be the one that, where the, the weird guy on Football Weekly pulls out that stat versus everybody knows that Southampton lost 9 nothing at home to Leicester City. <laughs> yeah, something tells me that one won't go down in the history books quite as much as ours will, which is unfortunate for, for us. But yeah, fair play to Ajax on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think the U.S. women's national team also beat somebody 13 nothing, and they got lambasted for it. Said, they said it was unprofessional. Um, nobody said that about Ajax. Um, I think I think Tadish only scored once. By the way, I think man, you play play like up the up front for a team that scores thirteen goals and you're only involved once. What are you doing? Other than probably just going like I'll let the I'll let the young guys run. Like I don't need to run. We're up thirteen nothing. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I, one one thing I did want to point out is is we seem to have a little bit of a set piece idea uh, today. It seemed at least I think two or three times we were looking for Vestergaard kind of towards the back post and once he tried to head it goal words. And once I think he was trying to knock it down, but um, I don't think that's a bad strategy. Just like kind of let him start out um, kind of a little deeper than the back post and let him run onto it. And I mean, he's one of the tallest guys on the pitch. So don't let him get a running start and just see what happens. I, I don't think that's a, it's probably overly simplistic, but I don't really think it's a bad strategy. Um, and then we should like say again, uh, and Lindy Luke comes on for his Premier League debut. Uh, so, so good for him. He looked fine. I think he was only on the pitch for six minutes, but he didn't really do anything wrong. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Um, but anybody else that you think, uh, deserves it? I think we talked about almost everybody. I don't think we mentioned Bednarak really, but, uh, I think just a solid game, not really, really anything to mention, but, uh, do you think anybody else needs a special mention at this point? Um, not, not really, actually. I thought McCarthy had a very solid goal, solid, solid game in goal. Didn't really have anything to do, to be honest. So it's difficult to, to mess that one up. And then all across the back line, I thought Bertrand, Carl Walker, Peters, Bednarek and Vestiard were probably faultless throughout the game. Didn't, didn't see many of them make any mistakes at any point. So yeah, no, just a complete performance like back to front. All right. Well, in that case, let's move on. We have uh, some questions both from uh, Patreon members and from uh, just, just other listeners of the show. So people can always get in touch with questions, whether they want to send an email uh, or they want to go to southamptondelivery.com and uh, get, send a message or just look for the posts that go out on social media, uh, usually after games, but definitely always before the, the podcast recordings. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about this because uh, we, we talked about Redmond and I admitted that you know, we all kind of, and I say we all, the people in, in this group chat kind of all thought that Redmond was having a rather poor game. Um, and, and so I think we saw that he got man of the match, but this question was asked before then. But um, Justin Woodward says with, what are our feelings on Redmond's current form and should he be worried about being dropped? Should he be dropped? And I think we look at now the fact that obviously Walcott couldn't play today because of uh, we're playing against his parent club, but you know, Walcott can play on that side if he needs to. Uh, Janapo can play on that side if he needs to. I think worst came to worst. We could shift Armstrong over, but what are your, are your thoughts? I mean, I think he brings something different to the team and I've been a defender of his, recently but he hasn't really had the end product this year and i think you know if, if i'm being completely honest he's probably living uh, a little bit off of what he did not last year but i think the year before and at least in my head i think that was his best season and last year he didn't kick on and this year so far he hasn't really done it either but uh, what are your thoughts on his form and and kind of the potential on that left wing position yeah honestly i feel there are two better players in our squad now in that position um, unfortunately for Nathan Redmond, I don't think he's kicked on ever. 
in the Southampton shirt. Yes, he had one or two good seasons for us where he scored you know, five, six goals. But when we signed him, we were expecting so much more. And now we have Theo Walcott and Musa Gineppo who can both play in that position. And I think on their day, they're probably both more dangerous than Redmond. So, yeah, even even though we only saw 90 minutes out of Theo Walcott against Chelsea, I thought he showed a lot more you know, attacking prowess and almost attacking knowledge in, in dangerous positions than what Nathan Redmond has. I, I think Nathan Redmond gets into positions and doesn't still doesn't quite know what to do with the ball. And I think that's something that is imperative in the system that we play. I think we need wingers who are dialed in for the system. Um, and Theo Walcott's already shown that he can he can play a role for us. And I think Gineppo has done the same thing. So, yeah, I guess you could argue that Nathan Redmond might be living on borrowed time a little bit, but to drop him after a result like this is probably a bit harsh. So maybe he'll get a couple more games before Ralph looks elsewhere. But yeah, definitely not his best performance today. Yeah, no, and yet he gets man of the match. Um from Sky. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest, all my years of watching baseball and things like that, they would always, you know, they'd announce the player of the match or the player of the game or whatever. And I would never pick the same person. I've not, I don't think I've ever gotten that. And you, you know, that's definitely going to be the winning team. And aside from it being a pitcher who threw a shutout or something like I was always wrong, but um, sometimes I just don't understand what, what metrics they use to, to figure that out or, or what guys they're just like, Oh, we'll, we'll take Redmond today, you know? Um, but, We'll see. Um, th- another question concerning Redmond uh, from Kevin McGee. He says, you know, do you think Walcott will be aiming for that spot? Um, and how much of an improvement could he be? You kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, and then on a similar note, do you, do you think maybe we're underestimating the the style of winger that Redmond is and, and what he brings to the team? Because I kind of tend to look at, at Armstrong as being um, kind of, he could show up centrally, I think, and a little bit deeper than than Redmond would be comfortable playing. I think you could put Armstrong in a midfield three or in a ten, and he would be fine. I don't think Redmond could do that. I think you could play Redmond up top as a in a two, um, basically to kind of run in behind. But I mean, I think they're they're all they all offer slightly different things. I think Janepo, um is less predictable. Uh, I, I think probably doesn't put in the defensive work as much, and and I think would be. I think sometimes Redmond can go missing in games, but I think Janepo could be just pushed out of games and, and out-muscled a little bit. And I could be being harsh and I could be wrong there, but that's kind of my, at least the way I see it. Um, but I, I think, you know, what, 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 I guess, what is your understanding or what is your thoughts on, on what Redmond brings and I guess maybe what Walcott could do differently there? Yeah, I think we saw against Chelsea last weekend that Theo Walcott probably provides something a bit different to what Redmond does. Um, link-up play, I think Walcott was, was way more on top of that than Redmond's. And, you know, we've seen from Redmond over many seasons now that he he's a creative player, but he, he struggles to get into a position where he can impact the game. And I know Claude Puel, when he was in charge, wanted to mould Redmond into a, a striker. I think he was making similar similarities between him and Thierry Henry, but, you know, ultimately, like, he's not going to be that player who scores us goals or gets us matters of assists either. So it's difficult to see where where Nathan Redmond really fits in for us. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird one because he's been a mainstay in our first team for so long now that I think people are a bit anxious about dropping him and letting someone else have a go. But I think maybe this season might be the time where Theo Walker and also Gineppo probably get more game time than Redmond does because so far this season they've offered more in a couple of games than Redmond has over a much longer period, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and 
I think Armstrong has been so consistent and so good for, you know, I guess it's hard to remember back to when he was not playing well. Um, so I think, you know, he's going to have that spot more or less his own, and uh, you know, assuming he doesn't ever go on Scotland duty again and come back injured or sick. Um, Rob says, uh, where do you think we'll finish this season and why is it first? Um, and then uh, <laughs> Stephen Brandt also says, uh, so Saint, can Saints can sustain this, this current run of form? Um, so I guess, you know, what, what has this changed your expectation based on, on the past uh, couple of matches? I think it's too early to look at the, the table yet. Um, I know, I know we're up there, but I'm, I don't want to get caught up in that yet. I think it is, I think the best start we've had since, I think since Kuman season, it might even be better than that. Um, and, and so, you know, the team is playing well, especially after a, a rather poor start against teams you would have hoped we would have beaten, but um, you know, what, what, what's, what are your thoughts on, on the season? And, uh, I guess the, do you see us moving? I, I, do you think we're going to finish fifth? I don't know. I should just ask you a question and let you talk. <laughs> no. Um, yes, yeah, funny, isn't it? Because like a month ago, we lost our first two games of the season and, you know, we were, we were lingering in the bottom three of the Premier League. That's what we've, we've been used to the last couple of seasons. And then we pick up four really good results in a row and suddenly the table's flipped and we're in fifth position and you, you wonder just how much further we can go. And in my opinion, this is probably like a little bit too high in, in terms of where we can expect to finish. I, I don't think we should realistically be expecting a top five finish in the Premier League, but this is a weird season and, and that's what everyone's been saying. Everyone I speak to is like, you know, you can't really account for results this year. People are, you know, calling, well, they can't predict results like you saw with Aston Villa, you know, destroying Liverpool, and you do wonder sometimes if you know we can make a a challenge for Europe, and we've done it before. We've seen under Komen that we finished top six, got Europa League, and you know Ralph's got us playing some really good football. And you think when we have some of these players returning to the team like Salisu, I'm intrigued as to where he slots in and how much stability he can give us at the back. And you look at all these things coming together, and Dunning's his form with his partnership with Trey Adams. Like I think it could continue for for a while. Yeah, you look at our fixtures coming up, and I think. You know, we should be aiming for a couple of wins at least out of our next four or five games. So, yeah, at Christmas, I guess we should know where we're going to finish. But fingers crossed, it's it's in, within the top ten. Yeah, yeah, it's. I don't know. I think fifth is fifth is asking maybe a bit much. Um, like I said, I don't want I don't want to get caught up in in the where we're at in the table just yet because I mean we talked about Everton's kind of great start to the season. I think at this point we're three points behind them, so um, it, it's too soon to tell. Um, you you assume that in a season like this, maybe there will be other instances. Obviously, we lost Armstrong um, due to COVID reasons. Uh, go, uh, last week, um, you're going to have a lot of a lot of players that are going to come up either with testing positive and missing matches, or um, kind of having to isolate because they came into contact with somebody who did it. Um, I think there was a, a an article in the Athletic where um, injuries, mus- muscular injuries, are up significantly this season. Uh, our team does a lot of running, and so you worry about that um, coming into, you know, luckily we're out of the EFL Cup. It was great planning uh, by the team to not have to worry about those fixtures. Um, and so, you know, there are there are definite stumbling blocks there, but if uh, kind of everything lines up for us, I mean, yes, a, a higher a higher than average finish uh, is, is possible, um, but you're going to have to have some things go your way. And, um, and then, all, you know, you, 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 pair that with us playing the football that we played, I think against Everton 
uh, and that we kind of put in the last couple of weeks, um, there's no reason to think we couldn't do it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it. Um, but here I'll, I'll ask you these questions more straightforward. Um, another one from Justin Woodward, where, where do Diallo and Salisu fit into the first team? Obviously Diallo came on for his home, I think his home debut, right? I think, I think I'm right in saying that, um, looked okay, played. Uh, I, I was wondering if we were going to switch formations when we did it. Um, but he just seemed to go on almost as a direct replacement for, uh, for Armstrong. Um, but where does, where does, where does he and Salisu fit in, into the first team? Do you think? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because Diallo obviously comes in very highly rated under 21 French international. And I'm not quite sure where his natural position is. I think maybe for his club team, he was playing slightly more defensive, uh, mm-hmm. more of a holding midfielder. And I think, I think that probably is where he fits into our team. Maybe if Romeo has one or two bad games, he might replace him. I think they are quite similar, maybe not quite as muscular as Romeo, so he might not offer that same same presence in midfield, um, especially alongside Ward Prowse, who isn't the most you know, physically gifted player. Um, and then you look at players like Salisu, who I think, from what I've seen in, in, in the Liga, I think he's probably one of the better defenders in that league, let alone ours. So when he does reach 100% fitness, which I'm not sure how far off that is. But for me, I think he slots straight in. I don't know whether that's for Bednarek or Bestia, because they've both played amazing this season, or especially the last three or four games. difficult to drop one of them, but you would think the money that we've spent on Salisi would see him slot into the team somewhere. Um, I'm not sure we'll sacrifice the strategy that we're playing or the formation that we've adopted. So, yeah, I think it, it may mean one or two players dropping out to accommodate those players. Yeah, I, I think Diallo's position is definitely in next to WordPress, I think is what's gonna happen. I don't I don't see WordPress going anywhere. Um I think if, if anybody's gonna gonna move aside, it's going to be Romeu, but he's been given a chance to kind of establish himself again. Um and I think he's taken his chances pretty well. He doesn't always uh, I I think one of the criticisms of him before under Powell was that he was too slow with the ball. Um but I think in this system where you're not necessarily I guess requiring him to receive the ball with his back, you know, or facing our own goal and then turn and, and beat people. You're not, he's not, he's not doing that. He's winning the ball back and, and laying it off or winning the ball back and playing it forward. Um, and I think that that suits his style a lot better. He can just clean up the mess um, and be kind of disruptive. And, and I think that that suits him uh, quite well. So I, I definitely think that Diallo will move into that position if that, yeah, more so than I think he's going to replace um, Ward Prowse at any point, but I think it will be it will be time. I mean, he's twenty; he's only twenty one. Um, he's playing in a midfield position that is demanding, and you know he can learn from Romeo. Romeo's been around; like he's he's played at Chelsea, he's played at Barcelona, uh, or and so I think you know there's plenty to learn from him. I don't want to discount Romeo um, at all. Um, last question here, um, and this comes from. Tim Bizance, who I will say works in the medical field and does some injury analysis for the In That Number podcast. So he probably has a better idea than I do. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you anyway. It says, what's going on with Janapo's and his injury history? Um, do you have any idea why he's having consistent hamstring issues? Um, but, but I mean, is that, I guess for me, I'll, I'll ask a question that I can answer, hopefully. Is it a concern for you that Janapo's seemingly uh here for a game out for two or three here back for a game here for three gone again what what does that does that uh, is that a big concern for you 
Yeah, it's weird. Um, you wouldn't expect that from someone his age. Usually players come in past their medical at a club and they're not usually allowed to sign if they have previous medical issues. And especially a club that do their scouting as thoroughly as Southampton, you'd expect them to have covered that, that base and make sure that he's not going to be injury prone. And maybe it's just a case of him not being physically ready for the Premier League or or maybe, like you said, maybe it's something more serious and maybe this injury or this these problems that he keeps picking up are, um, are more repetitive and that's something the club might have to look at. But at the moment, it, it is frustrating, especially when you see him play well in the game, especially like he did against West Brom and then obviously miss a couple of games through injury. It's difficult for him to pick up momentum in the team and, and hold down a starting place when he's not going to be playing games. So, yeah, it is, it is a concern. And I, I do worry about it because, as you said, he is young. Um, and I wonder if potentially he is, we're rushing him back a little bit or he's rushing to get back. He wants to play. He wants to improve. He is young. And maybe that gets, I mean, I know what I was like when I was younger. Um, you know, you don't want to listen to the doctor. You just want to, you know, I'm fine. I'll get over it. I'll be fine. Just let me get out there. Um, and, and that can come back and, and cause you problems as you get older. Um, so I, I wonder if, if maybe that's a potential issue, but I, I do worry if, you know, for some reason, if we're Redmond were to go at some point, whether it's a, in January, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't want anybody to think that, but like, you know, if Redmond goes because he lo- does lose his place in the, in the team, then I think we would definitely need some more depth there because I don't trust Janapo to be, I don't think he's reliable in terms of uh, being healthy enough to start um, week in, week out. And that would be my, my I, maybe my biggest reason for having Redmond start most matches is I, I'm pretty confident that he can, he can play 90 minutes most weeks. And that's not something how I feel when, when Janapo's out there. I feel like Janapo, um, kind of like Buffal, can play either 60 minutes or 30 minutes, but uh, very rarely are they going to be effective over the, over the full 90, whether it's for, um, you know, in Buffal's case, I would say it was more effort-related. Like he just kind of said, like, you know, at certain times, like, I'd, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And, and then, you know, the intensity goes. Um, but with Janapo, it's more of a, it's more just a, a, from a physicality standpoint, I'm not sure his body can, can hold up to it yet. So maybe he needs to, you know, I don't want to say he needs to bulk up and change his body type or whatever, because that's, that's difficult. And that, that could cause more problems if he puts on a lot of muscle that, and, you know, I'm not expecting him to turn into Adama Traore or anything, but like, you know, maybe, maybe bulking up a little bit, protecting himself a little bit more, uh, maybe just being smarter and taking the time it takes to, to get back to full health before he's back in the team. So I, I don't know that, that would be my only, uh, my only suggestion on that. But I think, I think it's probably just, not well thought out and people will for sure let me know. But I mean, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? I, I think the only thing I didn't ask you at the top that I wanted to kind of talk to you about is, you know, how did you watch the game today? Did you, did, was this one of the ones that was already on or did you have to pay fourteen ninety five for it? Yeah. So, so fortunately, I guess it was one of those games that wasn't on box office. So for Sky Sports and, you know, subscription members in this country, you know, it was available for free, well, I guess as part of your existing subscription. Um, but as, as most of the games are now in, in the Premier League in this country, probably a third of the games over the weekends are pay-per-view, um, which means forking out 15 quid to watch them. Um, personally, I've not done that yet for any of the games. Um, I don't think I will be doing so either, just because it seems like a bit of a bit of a rip-off for fans of the club who are already struggling financially with other things, especially with COVID and all these other reasons. So, yeah, I think it's a really poorly timed decision from the Premier League and hopefully it gets reverted before too many people spend too much money on, on a singular football match. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of a lot of people, a lot of things saying people are boycotting it, they're donating it to charities, they're doing all that stuff. And and 
I, I appreciate that. But the truth is a lot of people just don't have the money period. And the places I think that are going to get hit the hardest are obviously the teams that are on TV less. If you think back to two years ago, uh, Southampton's explanation for their, their loss of revenue uh, because their revenue dipped um, was the fact that they were on TV. I think less than everybody else. I think Burnley were on TV more than us. So um, we are a bit more exciting now under Ralph. We play a different brand of football, but it takes TV companies and things sometimes longer to pick up on that than it, it seems like it should. Um, so I think we would still be wind up, uh, you know, Southampton fans would wind up paying um, more often than, than some of the others, which is, is it's going to disproportionately impact them. And, and at this point, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's great. I think we were all kind of hoping that the, the pandemic would have kind of eased by now, but it seems like we're all going back into it, uh, going back into secondary. Um, you know, there's talk of lockdowns uh, over there, I know, and, and over here as well. Um, and we're all kind of expecting a, a spike in cases again as, as the winter comes and, you know, Thanksgiving is a big holiday here. Um, obviously you don't celebrate that. Um, but you know, I, I do worry about, about numbers again and, and what that'll mean for, for people in terms of just delaying people actually getting back into the, into the stadium. And, um, I do count myself as very lucky uh, having, you know, for a, a very small price, uh, per season to be able to watch every saints game without, without fail. And, um, I, I just, I was on a, a different podcast last week, uh, the yellow card podcast or the subs bench, uh, with, with Steven Brandt, who asked one of the questions. He's also one of the Patreon members. And, you know, just fans here in the U S they, we get access to all the games and the people who make the club, who make the atmosphere, who, um, you know, spend more in the club shop than I will ever spend who support the businesses around St. Mary's that I will, you know, it, it'll be a highlight of my trip if I get to go to one of those pubs, but, um, they're in there each and every week. And so all of those people are the ones that are being kind of affected by this way more than I am. Cause I'm still watching the matches, um, you know, at 7 AM in my, in the same place I watch every match, whether there are people in the stands or not. So, um, I think it's, I think it's totally unfair on, on what's happening to, to people like, like you who are there, uh, and things like that. So I hope, I hope they figure it out. I don't know what the answer is because obviously, you know, the pandemic is still uh, a real thing, but I, I just hope that they, uh, the TV companies figure it out, the premier league figured it out and, and some other agreement is reached because, um, 15 pounds is a lot for, for 90 minutes of football. And granted, I think we would all retroactively pay it to watch the two nil, uh, against Everton, but, uh, most weeks, I, I don't think it's happening. Yeah. I think I saw last weekend, there was a, a game, uh, was it West Brom against Burnley? And I think there were some stats that came out after the game that only 76 people paid for the pay-per-view for that game. And it was a, it was a nil-nil. So hopefully the people that, that, that see these stats and, and, you know, watch these games are, are wary of how much they're paying and, and the Premier League sees this and, and reverts it because right now it's, it's, it's just not a good decision for anyone. Well, and, and uh, granted, I'm not uh, a, a business person or anything, but like if you've got 76 people paying for it and you've angered thousands, you know, over the long haul, what's, what, what's going to make you more money? I think at this point, almost giving those things away, either whether it's for a cheaper price or whatever you can do, giving it away for, for in, in a way that would just give, give some back some, some, you know, some, get some goodwill back from, from the fans, you know, that would, or people would recognize that, Hey, you know, it's, they are thinking about us. And because right now it doesn't feel that way. And I think you're going to wind up with more people um, just refusing to watch and refusing to play and, and or pay. And that may mean that in the future, 
they those people may not come back and that that should be viewed as lost revenue um by the premier league and everything else and so i just don't even i don't even see how it works out from a business standpoint uh at all and i and quite honestly if we got this whoever the heck was uh announcing our game i mean you don't have to put him on you could just have nobody announce the game and just let, let people watch like I, I think people would be fine with one camera or three cameras uh, or, you know, just, just no, no commentator. I don't think people care. I think people want to watch their team. Um, they don't want to feel like they're being, um, you know, not having to pay exorbitant amounts of money to do so though. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Fingers crossed um, it comes to an end. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so if people want to follow you, uh, they can get to you on Instagram at we are Southampton. The link is in the show notes. It is always there. Uh, so I want to say to you, thank you for for coming on the show again. Thank you for supporting the show uh, for, I guess this is 196, 197 episodes, something like that. Um, so you've been there since since before that. I still remember where I was when I messaged you. Like I had this message written out on my notes and I was like, do I send it? Or is he just going to laugh at me? But then I, then you you didn't. And then I think I was in the same, I was still, it was that night when you got the, the logo back to me, which I was like, oh, that's, it would take me months. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, and then you know, the three PL podcast is out. And so that, that link is in the show notes as well. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. Hopefully we won't wait uh, so long this time. Yeah, definitely. I think the last time I came on was maybe around show 100. And I remember, you know, that being a huge milestone for you. So coming up to 200 now, super impressive. And um, yeah, just keep going. And like, you know, hopefully like these results keep getting better and you'll have an enjoyable podcast for the next couple of months because that's what we enjoy listening to. So. Yeah, I, I feel like I definitely have a harder time talking about good matches than bad matches though because I'm never sure like like how much praise is too much. You know, where do we mess up? I, I've, I've gotten pretty good at identifying faults. Uh, it's difficult when there's not as many of them. But, uh, but yeah, and, and I, think, I think this has been an overall success because uh, the, the puppy has stayed asleep. So we're good. And uh, yeah, I just, want to, I just want to say thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely get you on before the next 100 episodes. <laughs> Great. I'm looking forward to it. And that does it for this week's episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks goes out to this week's guest, Matt Beeling. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on the show, but not only for that, but for supporting the show since before day one for doing the logo and also providing some correction when I needed it. I really do appreciate all of that. If anybody would like to follow Matt on Instagram, you can do that at We Are Southampton and be sure to check out the 3PL podcast. The links are in the show notes. As you heard at the top of the show, they cover it all, but without the big name bias, uh, there's two Southampton fans and a West Ham fan. We can ignore that guy, but uh, there are two Southampton fans, so you'll know. Uh, you'll at least get some credit and some some discussion instead of just, you know, teams like Southampton only get talked about when they get beat um, by a scoreline of like 9-0 where they could just, it just comes up a lot. And I don't know why. Anyway, give Matt a follow. Give the 3PL show a follow. And uh, thanks for being here. We do have some other partners of the show, the Southampton page on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow them at Southampton page one on Instagram and at Southampton page on Twitter. And they will keep you up to date with everything going on at the Southampton football club. If you're already keeping up to date with everything happening with the club and you'd like to get in touch with the history of the club a little bit more, you can do that by following the saints archive The links are in the show notes. Uh, and we are working on more total recall episodes as we speak. 
If you are enjoying this show, please consider leaving a review or a rating on iTunes. I really do appreciate that. Um, everybody all around the world who has done that, it means a lot. So please keep doing that. It helps other people find out about the show. And I really appreciate it. All music for this show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Potterton Bear. That is it for this week. We will be back next week. Uh, we'll have the guys from the In That Number podcast on, so be sure to check it out. And uh, until then, we're that together. We march on. Thank you.